I remember when I was in fact working as a youth minister, I realized that the parents I was dealing with didn't care so much that I taught them anything from the Bible as they cared that I kept them off drugs and virgins. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here with J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church in Hilton Head, South Carolina. How are you doing today, J.D.? Doing great, Nick. Thanks. Matt is en route, I think, from his clergy conference home, uh, so he will not be on the show today unless he calls in, in which case he will join midstream. I was going to say, we we finally, thankfully, have some closure on the whole chosen show quoting the book of mormon uh, do we drama have you been following this i have but i have not uh, with bated breath <laughs> well fair enough, fair enough they finally interviewed him about it and he said it was an unintentional thing it is sort of weird that he said that the quote wasn't referring to the law of moses so for those who don't know there's a new teaser out for the season season three of the chosen which i love i think you love too um and in it the Pharisees come to Jesus about you know, how if he keeps doing what he's doing, they're going to have to follow the law of Moses, i.e. stone him. And he says, I am the law of Moses. It's sort of a, <laughs> mic, dro- a mic drop moment. Now, like admittedly, admittedly that's not in the Bible. And the creators of the show admit that. I think it's sort of it's arguably defensible theologically. But the interesting thing is it's almost a direct quote from the Book of Mormon in Nephi, I think, anyway. But apparently, Talis Jenkins has never read the Book of Mormon. It's unintentional. It's artistic license. So we can be a little comforted that he's not actively and purposely quoting the Book of Mormon at us. Yeah, it's amazing how um, how successful that, that show is. And I haven't... I confess I started it and I haven't finished it. I don't know. It wasn't on, out of animus or anything, but I... You know, I'm familiar with the story, um, so I, <laughs> so I done, but I, I, you know, I have been interested and and kind of, I don't know, intrigued by the people claiming it's a you know blatant violation of the second commandment and right. you know all of these representations. I do think it's, I mean, I'm. It was too late for me. I didn't grow up in a tradition that had any problems with um, with depictions of Jesus, and so by the time I even considered it, I my mind had plenty particularly jim caviezel and um you know passion of the christ or whatever but caviezel caviezel there you go with your mispronunciations again but i do think that you know if you're not going to have one that you know well then this sort of amalgam of um you know middle eastern you know bearded middle eastern men which is uh, what he would have looked like uh you know is is probably not it's probably better than having just one picture that you say this is the definitive picture you know if, if we even had something like that but um, at any rate, I think it's it's it has done a lot of good. It seems like I mean, I meet people. I, well, let's put it this way: no one that I met that loves it isn't also uh, seemingly a, a very faithful and and um, you know we would say on fire for the Lord type right. person. I mean, yeah. so uh, you know, I think it, it, it's like if people had similar, you know, it's like the people that were, went crazy for like Game of Thrones or. Or even even I know if Matt were here, he'd freak out Lord of the Rings. It's like these people are, are by and large much more of a mixed bag, we should say, <laughs> than um than the people who right. uh who are fired up about the chosen. So, you know, I'll um I'll go ahead and, mm-hmm. and uh 
I'll support it in that respect. So good, good, good old Dallas. Uh, I'm glad. Actually, we were going to give money at one point so we could be an extra. Uh, okay, I was really? Like, I was like, how much is that? I think it's like a thousand dollars, but I think there's various levels. You know, all you the way to, like, to fly being like out the, to Salt Lake the, City, right? The thirteenth apostle. That's what you could be if you yeah, could right. get enough money, <laughs> 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 like Chris Rock in uh, right in um, Dogma. Cannot, should not watch that movie. Uh, but at any rate, do not late. officially recommend. You know, do not officially. That's right. So we had a whole show planned out. We were gonna. I had a whole introduction written that we're gonna scrap now. Um, not only because Matt's not able to join us, but because we were having a little chat before we turn the recorder on and realize that we're both thinking through the same thing at the same time. And that is about how should youth be incorporated into the church? Are they involved in the same worship service as the adults? Are they involved in the same Sunday school as the adults? Do they have their own separate youth group, which has been the tradition, at least for our generation sort of youth group was almost yeah, its own it worked really well. thing. It yeah, worked, right. worked really, really well. <laughs> <laughs> And we have tried at Grace Church to include youth with adults as much as possible, although there are certain things that I think are beneficial for them to have conversations about on their own. They're much more prone, I think, to participate conversationally when they're not feeling significantly younger than the rest of the group. That said, we've also tried to assume a lot of them rather than assume less of them, that they can have serious conversations about serious things and think serious thoughts about serious right. things. What, what are you d- doing with your youth group? What have you done with youth groups in the past? What have you thought worked? What has not worked? Where, where is the church with youth ministry in general now? What can we do to make it better? Right. Well, um, I think it's probably easier to say, from the onset, what we know doesn't work, you know, and I think the righteous gemstones nailed that with the hip uh, with it, 20 something year old guy that had all the, the right phrases and was on TikTok and was all the, the I mean, they were, they were making fun of that for a reason, because it, that was what sort of was the model, the, the expectation that at least you and I had, at least in the broader evangelical world, for lack of a better word. And um, it produced a generation of skeptics and and atheists. You know, I think if you were appealing to the lowest common denominator of youth culture, which would be the um, sort of aesthetics of it uh, from a Christian perspective, then you were not equipping the children to face what they would fairly in fairly short order face with respect to an, an adult life. And so you had the classic you know, Christian kid that goes off to college and then, you know, in half a second becomes an agnostic, if not an atheist, because um, all of the things that they were not prepared for, they were then um, uh, participating in. And it seemed a lot easier and a lot more fun and all the things. And so I think that we have, we, we have to be more um, intentional about uh, beginning as early as possible uh, with the preparation and the age appropriate um, equipping of our children to to be able to withstand uh, the pressures and trials and temptations of adult life um, in a much better way than than we have before. I mean, it's 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 almost a cliche, you know. It's almost a cliche, even in movies and in television, how the discipled youth group kid would go off to you know Paris or go off to uh, college and be uh, well lose their faith um, to what extent it, it, it existed. And I think. Um, 
you know, and I'm grateful. I, I, I resemble that remark slightly. I had, and I grew up in as explicitly a Christian home as you could possibly, you know, I don't know what my parents could have done more except for the church itself taking a more active role in partnering with them to disciple and equip me, like not just have a sort of a worship experience, but actually have a, well, a discipleship experience. And so I've, I've growing in my, my whole understanding of, of childhood pedagogy, as it were, with respect to my own, watching my own children. And we're participating in something called classical conversations, which I mean, maybe our listeners are familiar with. I mean, it's nothing, it's just one version of the classical Christian homeschooling uh, world, but you know, they've gone back to what they call the trivium, where you had the early years where uh, grammar, which is just essentially rote memorization. This is what yeah. it looks like. It's just like, we're just going to plug your brain that we sing a bunch of songs around my house all the time about timelines and um, uh, Charlemagne. You know, all <laughs> and, and then they have logic, which uh, is, you know, putting the, putting these facts together in sort of a variety of ways, which is sort of the middle grades. And then they have the all important rhetoric which is where you not only begin to um, utilize the the logic of these facts, but you begin to create arguments. You know, you develop your more critical thinking skills. And I have been thinking about that with respect to the discipleship of the church, because I think there's a lot of expediency to it. I mean, obviously, thousands of years of just, at the very least, pedagogy has gone into thinking about this. Because what I see is that churches do a fairly good job with children in the first, in the sort of grammar phase. You know, we sing a lot about, sing a lot of Bible verses. Um, there's a lot of um, resources out there that help just get the stories into their heads. You know, they know a lot about Zacchaeus was a wee little man and so forth. That's coming up and in then, the sermon on Sunday. <laughs> you know, and then, and then you have, um, you have the logic part, which I feel is like basically where most Christians are stopped, you know, and they're in their own, or at least many that I've found adult Christians have stopped at this. Well, we, we know the stories and we have a general sense of how these stories fit together for a general sense of what it means to be a Christian. Um, you know, we have a general sense of God is good and we're bad and Jesus and the cross saves us. And, you know, there's this kind of middle school um, development, but very few adult Christians, or at least fewer than I would like. And I do my, my living my life to correct this, are able to take that information and process it in such a way that they're actually able to defend the hope that they have. They can withstand uh, assaults of the of the of the world to a certain degree, but, but most people just sit in a defensive structure repeating the truths that they do believe. But the problem is eventually um, those, I mean, even the best of us get worn down, even the, even the strongest of us. And so um, that's what I'm trying to address in a, in a broad sense. What does youth ministry, what does family ministry look like if we reject the idea that the discipleship is primarily one of the emotions or the affections it's it's not less than the emotions and affections, but it but it's more than that too. And how do we then involve the parents? You know, I think this is one of the great, uh, you know, I think the parents and surrogate parents, as it were, the, the the body of of the church, has to come together and be much more intentional about witnessing, equipping, and discipling these young people than we were before. Because the days when you can just send them off to the pizza party on Sunday nights and then expect them to come back. Well, I don't know why you ever would have expected one hour a week on Sunday night with a bunch of other kids um, playing, you know, that game where you put the uh, put the uh, donut on the end of a fishing pole, you know, and you have to eat it <laughs> with your hands behind your back. You know, it's like, well, nothing says 
I'm ready to be martyred for the cause, like being able to eat a donut with your hands behind your back. So anyway, I mean, that, that's that's what I'm thinking about. But I mean, what you you guys are doing something pretty interesting. Well, I want to go backward first. So I went to the Falls Church Episcopal at the time, as you know, the Falls Church Anglican now, which is a great church. And I recently actually came across the Bible that I was given, I think, when I moved from junior high to high school and I was looking through it and it's full of notes and there were index cards with outlines of biblical books. It seems to me, not that I remember it, but that I was taught in a very real way. It seems like there's no, there's no way around that. And yet I remember thinking in college, at least I went through the same thing that a lot of people did. I didn't run away from the faith. I just ran away from church attendance because I wanted to be cool. And I didn't think that church attendance was cool. I would have definitely still called myself a Christian, but I had sort of come, I had come to the belief and I don't think anybody ever would have said this to me at the false church, but I sort of caught this by osmosis that Christianity for a Christian was about what I could do for God right? rather than what he had accomplished for me. And I think that a lot of that is probably um, due to pressure from parents wanting the youth minister to do what they can't do, which is to keep their kid in line. I remember when I was in fact working as a youth minister, I realized that the parents I was dealing with didn't care so much that I taught them anything from the Bible as they cared that I kept them off drugs and virgins. That's what the parents of my youth group wanted. Um, and so the, the, the youth thing at so many churches, I think is basically, you know, keep your browser history clean and, it was all about sexual abstention. That's really all it was about. And I am sure that I was told the gospel as a student at church, but somehow it didn't really click with me until way later. And Mm -hmm. I want to figure out a way for our churches to be catechizing our kids and youth, but also to be, proclaiming the gospel to them because that's, what's going to release the Holy spirit into their lives and actually result in spiritual growth. Yeah. I think that's, it's um, I think that's why at least we're considering, you know, how, how expedient it has been to divide the, the older from the young. I mean, you mentioned in the beginning um, about how you sometimes feel like if they're in much older spaces, they may not speak up. And I think that's true. We have to take that into account. But it, there's also the reality of being confronted by the witness of a longer, older disciple, for yeah. lack of a better word. I mean, the people that have gone through. I mean, I think about it in my own life. We have a, a children's minister here who has seven children, um, and the two oldest ones are already through college and you know still talking to them and still you know made it uh, you know there's intact. And I know that's not a promise necessarily that any of us can um, hold on to in and of ourselves. But um, I take great comfort from that. Just like listening to stories, being um, watching, of course, my children are much younger, you know, like seven and under. And so I have a long way to go, but I see that it can be done and I have hopes and I pray. And, and there's a, there's a discipleship function to that, that I think we, we don't take advantage of if we totally and always cordon the youth off into their own uh, section. Also, on, on top of that, you know, in a culture that 
is on, in the upside down culture that we're in that has uh, little respect for the elders and everyone wants to be young. And, yeah. um, you know, there's a perpetuation of this, this frankly, counter biblical or anti-biblical conception of the, of the, of the reverence and um, weight that comes with old age, you know, that there's a, there's a sense in which the, the wisdom of the elders, uh, you know, in our church uh, should be upheld and celebrated and, and particularly with an intention to pass it on down. I mean, that's what honor and in part, that's what honor your father and mother is about is, is recognizing that you do not create yourself and that you are um, the recipient of some, of some patrimony uh, that went ahead of you. So I think, you know, we're, we're considering how I mean, right now we don't, for instance, take the youth out during the church service, which I know some churches do, you know, have sort of a youth church. And then they have, you know, we do take the nursery age kids, the young children out during the sermon. Although I'm really reconsidering that the longer we had a couple of times uh, in, in both this church and the, my previous church, where we had visitors who were not aware of sort of the peculiarities of our child drop-off system, for lack of a better word. And so their kids just sat through the entire service and they were yeah. able to do it and they listened and, you know, we don't have 45 minute sermons. If Matt were here, we, uh, but even if we did, <laughs> you know, if we did, I expect my 10 year old child. Um, I mean, we, we, we expect them to sit still relatively speaking for in schools, you yeah. know, for a 45 minute chunk. So um, and then, of course, in our tradition, we get them up and sit down and, you know, move you around a little bit so you don't your legs don't fall asleep. I mean, that's uh, that's that's part of it. So, I, you know, I, I'm we're reconsidering all of this and I'm, I'm being forced to do it uh, both professionally because I've been asked to, but also uh, just personally, because I I want to, you know, 10 years from now seems like a long time. But of course, you know, the older you get, the faster it goes, it seems. And that's, you know, when Tucker's 17, there will have been a lot of. Um, opportunities to have either discipled her and, and helped equip her or not. And I want to, I don't want to miss, I want to miss as few as, as I can, as, as I have to. I was just talking to a group of men about the men's ministry. And I was like, you know, I'm going to bring John around just, I mean, whenever we have breakfasts or, you know, I want him to associate church with, with pancakes and donuts and joyful foods, but also um, I want them to see people that aren't just me who are there singing and kneeling and praying and worshiping. And that's, that's what youth ministry, that's what, that's what the sort of discipleship of the church. I think that's what we have. To, I think that's how it has been, uh, you know, for, for almost all of its history. I mean, that's of course, we're getting even broader. I mean, that's how culture yeah. was. I mean, there was right. a rites of passage and there were men's, you know, there were, there were, I think, you know, Al Mohler put it best, or he, he made me think about this the other day. Cause he said that um, he was just reflecting on part of the problem is that we don't have any, there's no agreed upon, rites of passage that delineate you as to a man or a boy, you know, and I think similarly speaking in the church, we have something called confirmation, but it doesn't really, it's, well, it doesn't seem to really signify what we, what we think. I mean, people are still confused about exactly what it, what it is in many cases. And I think if we could, if we could consider something that would be a meaningful rite of passage within the church, then we could then work back from that to build up the youth ministry as a preparation for this. I don't know what that would be, but I think that we are, we have a lot of adults that are stuck for lack of a better word in the arrested development of, you know, teenage Christians for lack of a better word, stuck at a uh, middle school or high school sort of knowledge of, of the faith. And I think that's in part because um, we missed out on leading them through that developmental stage that they were going through in their own physical and other educational development with the church and we you know we 
we got progressively harder and more intense and more weighty, at least ideally, in your your normal progression from high school to college through college. And yet it seems like there's a moment where people get far enough in with their sort of theological development and then they just check out. And if we spend this year when we have them, these years uh, in middle and high school, um, just entertaining them, well, then right. no wonder when they go to college, that's what they think, you know, if, if, if they're confronted by the questions or, or churches that are quote unquote more serious, well, then they, that's not what they've been brought up to, to, to look for. Well, and they can find better entertainment, you know, like there, sure. there's tons of higher quality music to listen to better shows, however good your youth ministry <laughs> rap is, it's not going to hold a candle to, you know, Taylor Swift's new album. So if, if, if entertainment is what you're doing, you're going to lose that in the end. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm just keep coming back to the, to the necessity of, of the parental involvement, which goes back to the, you know, the it's, it's difficult because you have a youth ministry that has children who's, parents are either disinterested or not um, involved in your church, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to keep these children from coming, you know, you don't want to, I mean, it might be the, it might be like a young life meeting the one time that they hear the gospel. So my wife was evangelized into a youth group. That's how she became a Christian and through her, her mother. So like these, these things can happen. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't think you can, you should stop that. But at the same time, I think there has to be a, there has to be an appreciation for a distinction between what's sort of the missional function of a youth group and then the discipleship function, because yeah. you can't do really both at the same time. It's just like a church. I mean, you could have a evangelistic sermon and then you could have adult ed afterwards. I wouldn't expect, you know, a nominal Christian or a, or a visitor to, to jump into the 45 minute class going through Romans, but I could expect that they would be fed in a similar way to a basic expositional gospel sermon, um, you know, so you, you can you can make that distinction sort of roughly. Yeah, I mean, I think what y'all are doing is probably, uh, I think, is an interesting model to take one one presentation and then break it up into age and um, appropriate discussion levels. Because even you know some of the discussions, particularly if you're doing like you mentioned Carl Truman's book, um, aren't I wouldn't want to have a, a frank discussion about some of those issues with a seven year old. You know, I mean. Or or a, or even a ten year old really. Um, and we're yeah. talking about junior high and high schoolers. So. Yeah. But even there, you know, there are. That's a question that we've run up against too. Like even at something like an adult gender specific Bible study, if there's a prayer time at the end, does the presence of a you know thirteen year old uh, quell a person's ability to to share frankly and honestly about what they're for sure. needs are now you you might well say well they don't need to be sharing a prayer or request like that maybe period that can be shared with you know one other individual or the clergy person or something like that so uh, it, it's an interesting and I, I think relatively thorny question because you're totally right that the idea of raising your children sort of in the arms of the larger church seems like a no-brainer to me like we got to be doing that but at the same time and it's probably just because of the kind of church structures in which I was raised and which I'm used to, it feels also like, don't we need to make space for like just the adult men to hang out? Don't we need to make space, et cetera, right. et, cetera et cetera. But is that a good impulse or am I just sort of reliving the things that were erroneously part of churches that I was part of that don't need to be maintained? 
No, I don't think, I, I think there's still some, some benefit to having gender specific and age appropriate um, gatherings. I just wonder, um, I wonder. They should be the exception rather than the rule. Right. I think that particularly when it comes to children and youth, I think that more leaning towards more integration than less is important. I mean, I, I'm Liza and I are reading this book. I forget the title of it. Well, she's really reading it and she gives me passages to read out of it, but you know, it talks about how the, um, uh, it's been relatively recent that, uh, well, well, let's put it this way. The age of when a child begins to look to their peers rather than their parents for validation and affirmation um, for what they're doing or thinking uh, has gotten lower and lower and lower because, um, you know, because all sorts of the, all the things, you know, yeah. social media and black divorce and parents and all this stuff. And this person, it's not a Christian book. They're just observing that that's not, <laughs> that's not a good thing. You know, that's, yeah. I mean, in, in the, in the normal, have you met your child's peers? That's right. Well, that's part of the, that's part of the alarming right. aspect of it. Um, and so, you know, I think that, that if we, if we appreciate that, then we say, well, you know, if, if the, the primary Christian witness in a child's life should be their parents. I mean, that's by God's design that now that's of course, you know, we understand in a fallen world, that's not always the case. So that being the, being the case, within the body of a church, then we have, we have been compensated for our own weaknesses and failings by having um, a body, you know, surrogacy, so, I mean, um, surrogate fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandmothers and nieces and nephews for that matter. And so I think that it should be more, it should be the, the rule that we do as many multi-generational uh, hands-on discipleship activities as possible. That being said, I think we do have, despite what you may have heard, creative and intentional differences in our physiology and psychology and even spirituality for that matter, which I think um, at times need to be identified, I mean, uh, acknowledged and, you know, men coming together to to ruminate and pray and laugh about what it means to be a Christian man and a woman. And then by extension, youth and uh, children, I think at times is meat and good. But I'll, I also think that the power within those groups of multi-generational witnessing um, down the line. Now, to your point, I think it doesn't do any good to, um, you know, invite a bunch of um, eight-year-olds into, a, you know, an addiction support group where you have these men um, confessing all of their uh, their persistent weaknesses and failings. Their ruthless um, moral inventory. <laughs> that's right. But I think that, um, you know, I mean, again, this is just, it, it, I don't want to say it's obvious, but this has been a, this has been a problem that has been, um, that is as old as the very least the industrial revolution with respect to men and sort of our place in our, and it's not just relegated to church, but because we're in a church, we have obviously more than just our own, ideas we have the power of the holy spirit suffusing our gatherings and we um, trust that there will be work done um, in those gatherings uh, with the softening of hearts with the knitting together of of affections with the um, deepening um, deepening love for god and neighbor that will simply be a function of a presence and 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 promise for lack of a better word that he's you know he's he's there and we've come in intentionally to seek uh, wisdom for how best to order our lives, as it were, as either husbands and sons and brothers and friends or wives and mothers and um, sisters and friends. 
and he will do that work, you know? And I think what I found is that they, the, the, the problem has been a lack of expectation for an, a genuine vision for what it would mean to be, as it were, growing in your discipleship as a man or a woman, you know, biblical masculine or femininity. And then by extension, uh, what that could then have to offer to future men and future you know, adult men, future adult women. I mean, I'm always challenged by the concept that what I'm raising in John and Garland and Davis now um, in particular are just future, future men. You know, these are, these are just little saplings of future oaks. And um, when you look at it that way, then you, you, you want them to be around all the time. You know, you want to, and then of course you're much more cognizant of what you're doing around them too. You know, you're like, this is, you're going to, uh, you know, learn different watching you dad. Remember that commercial, but um so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the answer other than pray for concerned, convicted and involved parents to be a part of your church who are actively like pushing you as the minister to provide resources and places where they can be equipped to then be the primary resources and equippers of their own uh, children for whom they are more responsible than you. And you may need to put the horse before the cart as it were to create engaged and caring parents who will then ask you for the resources that they need you may need to in a sense proclaim the law to them that they have an obligation to their yes. children that they cannot hand off to the youth minister right. of your church that's right um but then obviously you preach the gospel to them. We have, we have been given a great inheritance of wisdom and truth to pass on to our kids. And though there's a sense in which uh, no prophet has high honor in his hometown, our, our children, I know are much better behaved for other adults than they are for us. (laughs) And so praise God for the church and for our Sunday school teachers and youth ministers and um, their elementary school and middle school and high school teachers who by the grace of the Lord, have an access into them that we don't always, um, and that that we are the body of Christ together. That's right, and um, that's just such a comfort to me as oh, yeah. a, as a parent who sometimes, occasionally, once in a great while, has a stubborn child. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I pray even now for um, godly surrogate fathers and mothers, and um, you know, in, in my children's lives. I mean, people that they would look up to. I mean, it's, it's a joy to me to watch, for instance, John, uh, my six-year-old uh, has fallen in love with the music minister here, our organist. And she's, a uh, um, you know, she's about probably, uh, well, about his grandparents' age, you know, or maybe a little, at any rate, um, I don't know exactly. And I didn't ask, but any say, the point is I've never seen John um, do anyone, anything, for someone as joyfully myself included as he does for her. And so, you know, we had the children's choir sing this past Sunday and I'm just prepared for John to, um, well, to, to not fully engage, let's put it that way. Right. And here we have, <laughs> we're here, we have him like basically like being, um, you know, dropping down through a trap door in the ceiling, like with a, you know, it's like, like wearing a, like a, Professor Harold Hill. yeah, like he's, 
it was unbelievable. And I was like, who is this kid? And he just, and he just brightens up. And so I'm so grateful for instance, for things like that. I mean, I can think back in my own life, various points where, um, you know, there were men and in particular, uh, various stages that were not my father that I know he was grateful that I was looking up to them as opposed to some other people. And, and so I, I pray for that. And that's part of, as like you said, part of the church, we, we encourage that. And it's difficult to encourage that though, with a model that doesn't know who the parents are, doesn't know where the various sort of expectations are for the way that children are brought up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I think it points more towards the need to be have more hands, uh, more eyes and more ears in the situation than fewer. Because, I mean, even a youth minister, I mean, I love we have a great youth minister here and I have had we've had great youth ministers at the churches we've served, but you know, there's not only are they just one person, they're just one flawed and, and normal human. I mean, who can't bear the responsibility of, of being the actual spiritual um, father um, or, or mother as the case might be for all of these children solely on their own accord. I mean, this is, this is not, this is a, I mean, just as we can't be, you know, on our own strength and by even our own ministration, the, the only outlet that someone has for their for their care and feeding um, in terms of their uh, life with the Lord, uh, we certainly can't expect a youth minister to handle that either. And so I think it's a, you know, it's a it's a challenge and it's a problem um, or it's, it's a it's a worthy problem and it's a real challenge. But um, I think that we have we have, what, 30, 40 years of data to show that some of the expectations and some of the models that we uh, assumed, um, well, we, we need to rethink uh, pretty dramatically. Um, don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but I think that it would begin, as you said, with the cart before the horse, with with a clear expectation of what discipleship in the life of this church looks like, um, and then age-appropriate preparation for defending and withstanding the challenges that we know these kids are going to face. I mean, we've been through them. Some of us were, you know, deeply wounded like Jacob, you know, uh, at the Jabbok by some of these challenges. And so we, we can't spare them from the, the world, uh, but we can prepare them to withstand it. Uh, we can prepare them to, to know the gospel within it. So even when they fall, they don't fall finally um, or fully, but they would uh, know where to go for help and know where to be fed. Well, this is definitely an ongoing conversation. Perhaps we can make an explicit plea to the mailbag. If you have a youth group that's working, if you know, if you have a suggestion um, for us, for our listener, we we would love to hear about um, discipling youth. You can be in touch. As we say at the end of every week, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Mailbag at standfirminfaith.com. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. We are so grateful for your taking the time to listen this week. Uh, We'll be back hopefully next week with Matt Kennedy. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Mm